Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And now, Lord, we come to hear a word from you. I have studied, but I need your strength. I have prepared, but I need your power. I'm willing and I want to, but only you can make me able. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my Lord, thy will to see. Open mine eyes and illumine me. Amen. Let us all turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21 from the New American Standard. The text says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Now to understand the context of this statement, one has to understand what was transpiring in Israel at the time. The people of God had fallen into apostasy. They had turned away from God and resorted to the ways of the Canaanites. So when Elijah asked this question atop Mount Carmel, he wasn't speaking to non-believers. He was speaking to believers. And the problem was that they didn't lack opinions. Rather, they had too many opinions. And many of those opinions were deviant from the one true opinion, which was Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Elijah was the only man who had the brazen audacity to stand for God. He was on one side of the mountain. On the other were 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. He was grossly outnumbered, and he was ridiculed and labeled an outcast for his faith. And the question then remains, how does that apply to us here in 2015? Do you often find yourself knowing what you want to do and know is right, but you waver from the truth? Or perhaps in some areas of your life, you know what is correct, but you rather do it the worldlier way or the easier way. Have any of us here felt torn between two opinions? Perhaps you're a teenager, and you kind of have a so-so opinion of church, but you'd rather pursue the opinions of those in your social group. Or maybe you're middle-aged, and you know Christ, and you love Christ, but there are still some areas of your life where you're not putting your A-game first for God. Or maybe you're a well-seasoned veteran of deeper life, and now your grandchildren have grandchildren, and the problem is that you don't waver between opinions, but the one or two opinions you do have, you refuse to waver from. The word identity has a Latin root in the word identitas, meaning again and again. So with a firm Christ-centered identity, you no longer waver. When you have an identity crisis, that is when wavering ensues and you deviate away from Christ. Now, why is wavering so dangerous? When you have multiple opinions, we often lose track of what the truth is. 
And as a result, we not only become numb to sin, but we come, become numb to God. And as a result, when we commit sin or fall into apostasy, we shrug our shoulders. Even more dangerously, when it comes to God, we also shrug our shoulders. So the question is, has anyone here, like myself, ever felt as if there is a better version of yourself? There is a completely devout, faithful, and obedient version of us all we aspire to be, but we often find it hard to maintain because we're wavering because it just seems too hard. And that is the root of, of a deviation away from Christ and identity crisis. Let me make that plain. I have four names. Charles Haddon Elijah Sadaf. There are some times in my life I acted a lot like Charles. My wife will tell you when I get up in the morning for the first 30 minutes, I'm a sadafel for the first 30 minutes. Sometimes I act like I had him. And I'll show you what I mean. I left for college at 16 years old. From 16 to 24, college and medical school, I did not go to church at all in Philadelphia. Not once. And I was happy about it because it made my life so much easier. I could have all the fun I wanted to on Saturday night, and Sunday was my day of rest when I did the night before. That's the truth, because I was wavering. But here's the problem. My father, before I was born, said, his name will be Elijah. And that identity, no matter how hard I tried to waver, I couldn't waver from. So no matter where I was, or what I did, that core identity was inside me. And the name Elijah, just like the prophet in 1 Kings, means Jehovah is God. Not a God, or some God, but Jehovah is God, period. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because I have a backstory, but the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings does not have a backstory. From Genesis 1 to the end of 1 Kings 16, we don't hear a word from Elijah. Then 1 Kings 17.1, it says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Which means the first words from the prophet gives us two pieces of information. Number one, God is God, and I'm the one who serves him. The phrase, before who I stand, means the one whom I'm in service to. And from this identity that Elijah had, rooted in his name, Jehovah is God, there was an extracted pattern of lifestyle, a way of thinking, a way of doing. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, it says, the word of God came to Elijah, so he went. God said, Elijah did. The word came to him, so he went. It was almost reflexive. So the question is, what do we do now in 2015 when the, God of word, when the word of God comes to us? Do we waver? Do we obey? Or do we ask God, God, I don't know what that means. Maybe I'll think about it and then obey. But the prophet simply does. And that brazen dedication to the word of God results in a pattern. 
So, at the time when, Israel act, when, when Elijah asked the question, how long will you waver? Israel was in the middle of a famine. So Elijah goes to King Ahab and says, there's going to be no rain, severe famine for the next couple of years. Then Elijah disappears and is sent to the brook Cherith by God's command. Now the text says it wasn't a lake Cherith or a river Cherith, but a brook Cherith. And the reason why brook is so important is because a brook, by definition, is a body of water that only exists in times of abundance. Which means, during a time of severe drought and famine, God sent Elijah away from the promised land into the desert where he provided a brook where there was no rain coming. And why is Cherith so significant? The text says Cherith was east of the Jordan, which means Cherith was outside of the Promised Land. It was in the same wilderness that Israel came from to go into the Promised Land, and now Elijah sent into Cherith outside of Israel. And here's the irony. Israel, or the chosen people of God in the Promised Land, were doing wrong. And as a result, there was death and famine. Elijah, the faithful man of God, was outside of the promised land and was provided for in a time of drought with the brook. As pastor said during Sunday school, he was separated from the people and onto God. Which brings me to point number one. Identity. Remember your identity. Moses brought Israel out of Egypt. Elijah was sent to bring the Egypt out of Israel. What does that mean? Now remember, Moses was sent to bring Israel out of the land of Egypt under the oppressive reigns of Pharaoh. Israel then wandered in the wilderness and then entered into Canaan modern-day Israel. But after a while, they got comfortable. They began to forget the promises that God had given them and began to think that as a function of their birthright or who, who they were born to, they could do what they wanted to and still be blessed. But God shook his finger and told them, disobedience to my word will yield in famine and drought. So Elijah now had to be separated from the people in order to remind them just exactly who they were. Now let's think about this for a second. Israel came into the promised land where a bunch of Canaanites were dwelling. They were a group of people that worshipped multiple gods. Israel only worshipped one god. So when they came in, the Canaanites never told them, don't worship God anymore. They basically said, hey, we have these gods, Baal and Asherah. You can still keep your Yahweh and do what you want to on the Sabbath, but why do you make a sacrifice to these two? I mean, after all, how could it hurt you? 
you could pray to God on Sunday and pray to the other two Monday through Sunday through Saturday. And after a while, it became so enculturated in their way of life that they began to forget who they were. And as verse 1821 tells us, they began to waver between God and the pulls of the world. Now, how does this relate to our life in 2015? You may know God and have an opinion about God, but there are certain pulls in the world that make things that are not of God so much easier. For example, you may be a man who wants security for his family, and you may follow the word and give 10% of your gross earnings to God, but the way in which you make that money is through some pretty shady mechanisms. Or maybe you're a woman and you want love and security, which is not a bad thing. But the routes and the people to which you turn to derive that are from some pretty dark places. Or maybe you're a teenager who knows a little bit about the word and you know what the right path to take is, but instead you choose to listen to people who are not God to form who you are. So how does Elijah repair the identity of all of those Israelites who wavered away from him? 1 Kings 18.17 Is this you, you troubler of Israel? This is what King Ahab asks Elijah when he approaches the king and has the audacity to challenge him to the showdown on top of Mount Carmel. He basically says, you bring your A-team, bring them up against me, and we will see who God is. Which leads me to my second point. In order to repair your identity, one must realize that transformation equals trouble. Elijah had the brazen audacity to walk up to a king, knowing the king's wife Jezebel had already murdered hundreds of prophets of God. Under that pressure of a threat for his own life, he basically walks up to the king and tells him, we're going to have a showdown. And again, what gave him that zeal or that brazen audacity to do that? Because his identity was grounded in the fact that Jehovah is God. Essentially, Ahab and Jezebel ruling over a country, they were used to famine. They were used to drought. So after a while, when you're starving for years and years, you begin to think that scarcity is normal. So when someone came into their world and suggested there was another way, it was foreign to them, even though it was the way of God. They basically told him, you can't come in here and change anything. We have a tradition. We have a way of doing things, and we like the way we, we conduct our own business. After all, who are you? You're just some weird guy who's fed by ravens by a river, and you smell funny, you look funny. Who do you think you are? And look at how Ahab labels Elijah. This is before Elijah calls down fire from heaven. This is before Elijah appears with Moses and Christ on the mountain during the transfiguration. This is before Elijah is in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. 
So before he did all of those wonderful things for the followers of the Lord, he's labeled a troublemaker, a rabble-rouser, a revolutionary. Which means when you actually take a firm stand for God in a world that mocks and ridicules you, you're going to be called a bunch of nasty and evil things. And that actually makes perfect sense because God was never pro-world. God is always pro-God, and the world is always anti-God. So whenever we become too comfortable in the ways of the world, we ought to ask ourselves, are we now wavering between opinions? Because Elijah's identity says, Jehovah is God. There's no gray area. Now again, what gave Elijah the power to do these things? That's simple. He couldn't help himself. Here was a man saturated in the word who loved God and followed God. And you couldn't suggest to him any other way to live his life. Because in Elijah's case, the messenger was human, but the message behind him was unstoppable. And when you embrace that reality, it doesn't matter what obstacles present themselves in this life, you will have a fearless, single-minded dedication to walk in the ways of the Lord. Number three. Live your true identity. We are all creations made in God's likeness and image. It means our identity is grounded in Him. So if we, if we begin to search for sources of identity other than God, of course we're going to be discombobulated. We're going to be confused because we're going to someone other than our maker to define who we are. Now let's stop for a minute. The true meanings of Baal and Asherah, Baal was the god of fertility and rain. Asherah was the god of agri agriculture. Which means during a famine, the Israelites weren't praying for bags of gold big houses and pretty women. They were praying for rain and food, which means they weren't asking for bad things. They actually wanted good things, but they were looking to the wrong places to get those good things. Which means in 2015, you may want acceptance, which isn't a bad thing, but the routes by which you go to gain that acceptance are ungodly. You may want autonomy, power, and control in order to further the lives of the believers, which isn't a bad thing, but you actually use, use routes which abuses other people in order to achieve that goal. So the question now becomes, how did Elijah repair and rebuild the identity of the people? It's very simple. 1 Kings 18, 30-31. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, point number two, repair your identity, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, 
to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Their name was already Israel from the start. He reminded them of who they were, which means the man whose name means Jehovah is God reminded the people whose name meant people of God what God called them. Verse 36 to 37. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that, th that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Again, Elijah is living his identity by acting in a way that honors God. And it is from this rebuilding and repairing and embracing of one's identity that one is able to take a firm stand and walk in the ways of Christ. Now the key take-home point is the following. The ultimate identity crisis in the entire Bible was from a man born in Bethlehem. Elijah was an imperfect precursor to Christ, who suffered from an identity crisis for the first 30 years of his life. He was basically born in a manger amongst animals and was therefore unclean. He was born in an area of Judea that was regarded as a place for nobodies. As Nathaniel said, what good has ever come from Nazareth? He lived in a community where they basically told him, you are not the son of God. You are the product of a, of a young virgin who slept around and became pregnant. You're a nobody. They said, you speak with a funny accent. All you're going to amount to maybe is you may be an okay teacher, but even though you teach, tell these nice stories in the synagogue, we don't believe you. You're not the son of God. But that identity crisis was resolved in Matthew 3. The man who the Jewish community labeled as a bastard, a product of sin, the heavens opened and God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And me and you and everyone listening are sons and daughters formed in the image of God in whom God is also well pleased. So when the world criticizes you and calls you a revolutionary or a renegade or awkward or weird, because you have the audacity to take a firm stand for Christ, that means you are no longer wavering. It takes a well-established and well-rooted identity to realize that everyone here has been formed in light. We are destined for victory and predestined for triumph. But that identity can only stem from embracing the God who made us first. So it doesn't matter if your name is Elijah or Mary or Joe or Bob. Until you realize you are given a name and given an identity that says Jehovah is God, we will incessantly be predisposed towards wavering and faltering in our walk. 
So if everyone here today believes that you are called to be sons and daughters of God and believe in the Hebrew name Eliyahu, that there is one God with whom we should all worship, then you shall be fearless, you shall be unwaverable, and we will no longer waver between two opinions. God bless you. Thank you very much. Sadafo.com.